Welcome to the Spike Feed, your leading Magic the Gathering podcast. What is up? My name is Curtis, and I'm just your typical Spike. On the line with me, my good buddy, producer extraordinaire, Cameron McCoy, and also, I feel like we there needs to be a shout-out to Guitar Center. Hashtag not sponsored. <laughs> uh, you had an equipment issue. We were going to record a couple nights ago, and your amp... Basically, or the thing that yeah. you use as an amp. The thing that you plug and into the computer to make audio go. <laughs> uh, blew up, and Guitar Center took care of you in very short order. Yeah. So, like that thing, like when I got off the call with you, I'm like, I'm smelling something like burnt plastic or burnt like electronics, you know? There's definitely something that like went off in there. But yeah, Guitar Center, what was that like a few years ago? Like, bought it you know and like i bought the equipment thing and here we are with a brand new audio box being able to bring a podcast to you so cameron it's been more than a few years it's been (laughs) more than a few years i'm just putting that out there shout out (laughs) uh anyway dude so we're going to talk a little bit about what we've been playing then we're going to get i mean really the lead is there's actually quite a bit of news on the explorer front in this new anthology that's coming out tomorrow so we're going to kind of prime people, talk through that. Um, I do want to talk about the historic anthology ju- anthology, anthology, just because it is roughly what we said mm. they might try to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and there's nothing like a good, uh, I kind of maybe told you so, so I'm going to act like I was right all along. <laughs> it's a good time. So, Cameron, what have you been up to, man? Well, uh, I have this friend who started playing a combo deck. Uh, like two weeks ago, and of course, like I copy everything that he does. Uh, sure, sure, sure. And so I played this uh, the Ignis combo that you uh, suggested last, or we talked about last week. And while not a perfect deck, holy cow, what a fun, awful combo deck! So many people <clears throat> just sat there and allowed the combo to go, or incorrectly removed. Like whatever risen reef, the, the wrong elemental, right? <laughs> yes, uh, and uh, like the combo went, but it was so funny. So many people, I think, just sat there trying to figure out, like, okay, how does this loop work? Like they're trying to figure it out in their head before they, you know, or they're just like letting me go. Like, is he gonna deck himself? Is he gonna like what's gonna happen? Because there are times where with like two risen reefs, you can get through that deck very quickly, and if you don't get to the whatever the devilish. Devilish valet, valet is or whatever it is to get to a 128 damage. Uh, you know, I mean that that can happen, right? So like, it's not a perfect combo deck, and there's like what you were talking about last week. There is so much room to kind of play around and experiment. You had texted me just in the middle of the week saying that you had put in Prosperous Innkeeper, which is you know the one. And anytime a creature enters the battlefield, you gain one life, and then you can get a treasure token completely transforms that deck like getting rid of the arboreal grazer and putting that in um like night and day became a better deck but there's still so much more room for like i think innovation right like the the hasty creature that's a one two that allows you to bring something else from the yard is okay and i feel like i rely on that too much sometimes especially when I, it's like a big blowout with a wrath or whatever, because there's like no protection mm-hmm. as well with this. Um, 
you know, and then I'm like going back and forth with a collected company. Is this the right card? You know, because there's so many times where you just whiff on a collected company. You draw two Hazret monuments and, you know, three lands. And it's like, well, that is exactly what I didn't need, you know. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, I, I was really jazzed on this deck. It's like I said, I would not take this to a tournament. Um, but it is kind of like this lark that is just fun that if I had this in paper, I would totally suit it up on an FNM just to have a good time and possibly take down a tournament because when it goes, it goes, right? So anyway, super jazzed on that deck. Uh, I just had to like kind of share my experiences over the week. It's been um, super fun. I'm super glad that you had shared that deck with me. Um, And if this were to actually become popular, I think it is a pop problem just because the timer thing doesn't go off the same way because you're casting creatures constantly. So Mm -hmm. like on the opponent's end, the receiving end, I think this deck is awful, but it's super fun. (laughs) Yeah. Part of that is knowing when to scoop, right? Like a lot of times people sit through that and they're just waiting for something to happen, but it's like they don't seem to understand that you're not, like you said, unless you have like three Risen Reefs and... 20 cards in your deck you're you are not going to miss they are dead mm-hmm. um i will say I, I should send you my updated list so i do think this deck would be better in paper than it would be in yeah. uh, arena because the prosperous innkeeper <laughs> you kind of have to go through it and it takes a long time to gain one life infinitely yeah so a lot of times i would just bring myself up to 30 there's one time i did that and i still lost the match um and so you know it's like it takes so long whereas in paper you'd be like and infinite i'm doing this infinite times yeah. Infinite life. Any questions? So, like, you just have that problem. Um, but I've added uh, the rug Omnath, the elemental one that you put a counter on. Yeah. And, and like, that has become, like, a two of. And so I've done some other things. Uh, Thunderkin Awakener is no longer in my list either. Yeah. Um, but, no, dude, I, I've really um, – that's my fun deck. Whenever it's, like – cast 20 red spells i'm like i know what deck i'm playing <laughs> <Soon up>. <laughs> <laughs> uh what else you been up to yeah and I, this week I, or i guess it was last week i also played uh pioneer and just playing the blue white control list uh slowly making some like innovation and um refinements based off of that uh shout out to a listener named tyler who shared a list with me uh, was also playing a blue white list and um, very similar, but there's always like you know that room for improvement as far as like what I could be doing. So um, subbing out like um, the portable holes and like trying to figure out like what that 60 is going to look like in addition to trying to make like whatever semblance of a sideboard that I can have that's just you know rest in peace normally is like all it is. So anyway, yeah. a good time though. Like I, I've been having a good time. I've been talking to a lot of people. Lots of um, discussion at the shop as far as like what because it is like one of the best decks and like what what should it actually look like and um, especially for like certain metas where like online I think it's going to be radically different than you know what I'm playing in the shop. So anyway, uh, Pioneer I went two two. It wasn't like the greatest night, but um, yeah, with that deck there's definitely uh, continued room for improvement. <sighs> Yeah, I, and that's probably the one that if I just wanted, like, you know, comfort food, I'd play that deck. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty unconvinced that it's the best deck. Mm. And I, I'm just not in love with the lower level interaction compared to older formats. Um, 
I love the top end. And the top end, if you look, is kind of the same as it is in Legacy or whatever. For sure. Um, and so maybe not the same, but conceptually similar, right? Like I would like to play a four mana or five mana Planeswalker to end this game or a Shark Typhoon, right? Mm-hmm. So like there, there's that end, but like, you know, we're not playing Swords to Plowshares on the other end of this. Like Otherworldly Light is a big deal, but it's still way far off. Yeah. You know, that same power level. Um, so, hey, I've been playing a couple of the other combo decks that have been in Explore. I've largely taken a break from Standard. I, again, still really like it. I've been playing this four-color Fires deck, and I think this deck is awful, Cameron. <laughs> I don't know if it's just because of where I'm at on the ladder or what I've been playing against, but if you don't know, this is a... Um, so it's kind of like a survival of the fittest style deck. Yes, it is a Yorian deck. Yes, it is a Fire of Invention deck. But there's this other thing called Enigma- Enigmatic Incarnation, which basically says on your end step, you can sack an enchantment to get a creature that costs one plus the sacrifice enchantment's mm-hmm. cost. So you have to have a toolbox of creatures and a toolbox of enchantments. And yes, there are enchantment creatures. And you can create this massive toolbox of what you need, right? Um, but then it allows you to play like this one of Yarok, which is this elemental that causes everything to double up, like every ETB effect, right? You can also play some number of Risen Reefs if you're into that kind of thing, and I am into that kind of thing, right? But here's the problem with this deck, Cameron. First of all, the mana is, I would call it medium. It's not bad, mm-hmm. and you are playing, you know, the Utopia Sprawl variant, Urban Utopia to like enchant the land and make it whatever that's cool but the problem is when you're futzing around with this mana all the aggro decks just kill you on the spot you don't have like the actual creature quality or and definitely not the removal to actually deal with them Mm -hmm. and then the control decks essentially can sit back and do whatever because you are not putting any pressure on them and in fact they can out aggro you. Mm-hmm. Like, and I have actually played against this deck, and I just eat it for breakfast because, like, I'm sitting back with you know two Dovin's veto, and you know whatever number of actual counter spells. And sure, they got a fires of invention online, but like, like there's just so many opportunities to just wrath the board. They can do nothing counter like their actual threats they can do nothing you know like all these like great things it's it's fine and yeah when it goes it's super powerful but dude like what are we talking like it just there it has no defensive capabilities to it and i think the niv mizzet deck is a better version of the same concept Mm. and the niv mizzet version the niv mizzet four or five color deck still has a lot of the same problems in that um you're not fast enough for mono red or mono white, like not even close. Yep. And you are not fast enough to beat control, and control has the tools to go over the top of you, right? And you, you like, yes, you can play maybe this card advantage game, but it's not really where you want to be. Uh, like to beat to beat control, a lot of times I have to have multiple risen reefs, and even then I have to like because we are talking about a Yorian deck. I can't miss. Mm. I can't screw up and just like, oh, I drew three lands in a row, which happens all the time with a whatever, 36-card land card deck. 
Um, but I haven't been wowed by, by this at all. Now, the other deck that I've been playing in Explorer is the Indomitable Creativity decks, um, which are Agent of Treachery decks that don't play Fires. So you're getting the benefit of that combo, uh, but you're playing like Fable the Mirror Breaker. You're playing essentially a Jeskai control deck that just happens to have that combo in for the Agent of Treacheries. And that, I think, is a better, again, expression of this, where the Fires of Invention decks, like that's what Fires of Invention was in Standard, but you're just... You're just not equipped. Like even when you go off, it's not a sure thing. Mm. And I found myself missing the grinning Ignis deck because at least with that, when I did my thing, my opponent was dead, like dead, dead, right? Um, so in Indomitable Creativity, I think those decks are slightly better. Again, very weak to con control because if they just counter your creativity, then you're kind of like toast. Um, but I feel like it has just kind of a. I could actually get into a game where. I don't get that to go off, but I'm just playing a control matchup and I can win, mm. right? Mm -hmm. um, so that's mostly what I've been playing this week. Now, look, I want to spend this whole time talking about these anthologies that are coming out tomorrow. So, uh, Cameron, I think we, I mean, we should start with Explore, right? Because we don't really play Historic anymore. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this is the first Explore anthology. Um. There's some, I would say, some important stuff, some not important stuff here. What sticks out to you? I mean, it, it's a stick in my craw that they're putting Tarmogoyf in this, and like that's super cool, like such a iconic card. Uh, and I will never play Historic again because, like, I'm sure they're gonna change our favorite Lurgoyf's power and toughness to something dumb. Uh, like with delirium instead of like what it actually is. So you know, there's something like that. Avicen's cool. Like there's there's certain things that are okay, I guess, with in terms of historic. But once again, I ain't playing it. It is. So okay, let's let's spend some time talking about the historic one and just kind of get this out of our system. So first of all. The idea that this is the worst historic anthology, which I've seen online, is crazy. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's go back to number three. Let, yeah, let's, yeah, let's go back and look at some of those other ones. Do you remember the one where Death Shadow was the very card. clearly <laughs> the best card in the thing? Um, so, yeah, these have had a history of maybe being a little bit rocky. The artifact lands are one of those things that, like, they could end up mattering, but I doubt they will. And the fact that they've blown, I don't know how many slots on the artifact lands is a little bit like, yeesh, guys. Okay, we get it. Um, but the rest of this, like, so Tarmogoyf is not the card it used to be. Magic is not what it once was. <clears throat> I know there's a group of people out there that say, whoop, Delver's Secrets is on Arena. Tarmogoyf is on Arena. Guys, the rest of that deck is not on Arena. Yeah. You are not, like, first of all, Brainstorm's banned. So there goes that, you know. Mm -hmm. But the fact that there are no fetch lands really hurts Tarmogoyf's viability here. Like, I feel like if you're playing a Jun-style deck, that's where you want to be, right? Sure. But no fetch lands, no Brainstorm, no Days, no Force of Will... Like, tell me if you've heard this one before, mm -hmm. right? Like, no wasteland. Like, how are you getting these other card types in to make this more than 
what it a what it likely two. will be. Which <laughs> I mean, and it might be a three four, but I I mean, again, based upon what I know on uh, about historic, that ain't good enough. The one that continually blows me away, so blows me away. It's like I don't know if the people that play historic are living on the same planet as I am. Do you remember when we went through this whole thing where people were saying brainstorm isn't that good? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And now we've reached the point where we're talking about Chalice of the Void not being a good Magic the Gathering card. And I <laughs> I don't know what to say to someone that thinks this. I mean, I don't know how many more credentials a card has to have. Yeah, right. Across how many more formats before you go, maybe that's a good Magic the Gathering card. And Chalice of the Void, by essentially every definition, is that. Yeah. Is it a fun card? No. Is it a fair card? No. But this is a good Magic the Gathering card, (laughs) which will likely have a massive effect on that format. Like, I just... Help me, Cameron. Help me understand this. I don't don't know how to... I I mean, like, Chalice on One. It is a thing that you hear all the time in... I've never played it, but Vintage and Legacy, right? Like, I mean, it's just so important to that style of deck and what it's trying to do that, yeah, it's a very unfair, unfun card. I would say it's a fair card in the context of, like, some of these super powerful strategies. Uh, but, like, come on, what are, you, what are you drinking? If you think, like, Brainstorm and that aren't, like, on a power level that is, like, way beyond most other Magic cards. And, and this is a card that has been seeing a lot of play in modern control. Yeah. So if you're thinking it might not have a home, it might just have a fo- home in blue-white or just sky control. Because, correct me if I'm wrong, but historic one-drops, I don't know what there are in those colors, but I don't think it's a lot. No, yeah. And, man, does that make your mono-red matchup a lot better. Mm-hmm. Like, and same with mono-white, right? So, all right, historic anthology. I would argue the historic anthology, or I'm sorry, explorer anthology. Got to learn to separate those in my brain because one is good and one is not. Um, Some notable ones here. And I I actually think this pack is fine. Is it amazing? No, but is it bad? Not Mm -hmm. by any stretch. Um, There's a couple of cards that I would term as popular that will actually make no impact. Siege Rhino and Kalidas, for example. Is it Kalitas? I think we've had this conversation numerous times. (laughs) But let's be honest here. Supreme Verdict is definitely going to be the one that sees like a ton of play from both you and I and be huge. The one that I think is under people's radar that's actually probably really massive is Elvish Mystic. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is step one on the mono green train. Searing Blood also matters. Um, I, I'm interested in your thoughts on Tireless Tracker because I think that's kind of been the one that's the most debated. It's certainly a popular card. Yeah, I, I I'm okay with that. Like that is it's such a great card, and I love had, playing that style of card in something like Legacy. Um, I think it's like instrumental in you know the junk style decks or whatever. Um, I think it will have a place. It's going to be a sideboard card. It's going to be a utility card. Um. In like it, whatever that Jund style mid range deck is, it's gonna be a super fair deck. Uh, but I, I think Tireless Tracker is definitely something you 
not to sleep on. It's it's got utility. Yeah, it feels like it's too slow for the yeah uh, cat of index. But I mean, you are generating something you can sacrifice. I mean, that's not nothing. But we are in this land of like, you know, how far away are you from actual jund? Like, do you, do you make that third color jump? Whereas like. So in the early days of Pioneer, there was a bug deck that was very successful, and it played Tireless Trackers, uh, Centaur Courser, uh, JVP, things like that. But mm -hmm. again, this is before the power level got kind of absurd over COVID. So I don't know if that would be worth it. Um, but like, I, it feels more like a cyborg card to me, too. Um, tell me what you... I mean... Hold on. Let me, let me get this pulled up. So... Mm -hmm. Tell me what you think of Hangerback Walker. Because this is a card that, again, yeah. has had some credentials in the past. Yeah. But isn't necessarily seeing play now. Where are you at on that card, dude? Once again, put it into the format, sure. Uh, the impact that it's actually going to have in something called, um, you know, experience whatever format we're talking about. <laughs> I can never keep these straight. Uh, this is Explorer. Explorer. Yeah, this Explorer anthology. Is this the sort of thing that is like absolutely necessary to bridge the gap between Explorer and Pioneer? My answer is no, but um, it's a great card and like it has utility. I just, I don't know, I, like in the Serpent Coil type of deck, is it like the 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 counters deck or whatever? Like, is there something there? Can that actually work um, in the current his Explorer metagame? My answer is probably not. It seems like it's like tier three. But once again, I I'm fine with all of these cards. Put them all in, you know, or like whatever it is. I just I don't need a big to do, a big hurrah saying like, look, they're finally in there. It's like, yeah, they should they should absolutely just be in there. Yeah, I'm actually. I feel like Hardened Scales is on Arena. I is it? Uh, now I need to let's do some research. <laughs> it was in uh, Jumpstart Historic Horizons. Okay. So I feel like that card has been resolved on me before on Arena, but I was like, wait a minute, that was Khan's block. But yes, it mm -hmm. is. So I guess yay for Hangerback Walker and that. That seems very slow. Rally the Ancestors, I think, fits very neatly into a category of standard archetype, probably not good enough for anything outside of standard. Mm -hmm. um, unless there's a combo that pops up, which is possible. And then Mausoleum Wanderer, hey, that's a staple in Spirits. It's going to be in Spirits. Feels like it's gonna, Spirits is probably still going to be Tier 2 as long as there's not a Spell Queller in the format. Mm -hmm. um, not typing Spell Queller into Scryfall now to see if it's been in there. Uh, I feel like that that, one, that one for sure hasn't. I mean, that would have absolutely been resolved on me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> you're like, dude, I have good cards resolved on me all the time. <laughs> yeah. I would know. Um, so, yeah, I, I feel like this pack is like an easy buy. I will say, shout out to Wizards for doing this thing where they didn't put an Explorer staple in the Historic Anthology to force me to buy it. Mm, mm -hmm. I, did, I did say that that might happen. Um but it does look like they're solving a lot more problems with the Explorer Anthology than the Historic Anthology, yeah. which is strange. I think I think at some point we're going to see, if Historic continues down this road, I think we're going to see some off-the-deep-end 
either historic anthologies or whatever to really kind of juice it. Yeah. Because if you, if, if dude, seriously, if there were all 10 actual dual lands, not artifact lands, but volcanic tundra and stuff, you've upped me from 0% to like 5%. To play I was going to say, yeah, like I would probably just have them just to have them in a collection or whatever I have on online. Right. Yeah. 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 We give them these ideas. They can you milk know? me for some lots for actual money if they wanted to, instead of gems. Yeah, right. Last thing I'll say, team or battle rage. You, everybody thinks that's a bad card. Oh, don't sleep on that card, too dude. Late. <laughs> I I had some amazing modern tournaments that I played online on Mat- on Moto a long time ago with team or battle rage, and don't sleep on that card. It's fantastic. Yeah. Right on, right on. All right, man. Let's get out of the segment, come back, and talk about what else we've been up to. All right, Cameron. So you were like the third person mm. that I've talked to that it's like, yeah, I've been watching Bear. I know it's like about cook, like a professional chef or something. Mm-hmm. Like, lay it on me. What's good yeah, about Yeah, yeah. So Bear, it's a show on Hulu and now I can't remember if it's actually on FX or not, but it's on Hulu. That's how we're watching it. Um, first episode, you find out, uh, this like incredible chef who's like, you know, Michelin star, like top elite New York chef or whatever food and wines, best chef. Um, his brother recently died. And so he moves back to Chicago and inherits this kind of like dive sandwich shop essentially, uh, in the heart of Chicago. And uh, he's just going to run this thing. So it's like this incredible chef running like a, a dive bar, essentially, of a, of a restaurant. Um, super diverse cast. And it, it's just kind of like dealing with like kind of the fallout of like loss, inheriting, um, you know, food, food porn, that sort of thing. Like, I mean, it's like got some like great imagery in it. Uh, it is like one of the best edited shows I've seen in a long time. Just super. It flies. It's super tight as far as how it's edited um and it's really well acted i really like all the characters that are in it um and while it is a drama and it's super modern and how it's presented um it all takes place essentially in this restaurant with like like little vignettes that happen like at a children's birthday party or or whatever but it feels so much like a 90s sitcom and i was trying to think of like it feels like something like roseanne or or something just in the sense of like it all takes place in one location like a cheap budgeted 90s sitcom where it's like this always takes place in this family living room or in this restaurant or you know whatever um and i i don't know i got some like real cool vibes from it um just with how it's kind of presented so i i can't recommend this show enough like i think it's definitely it's like only 8 uh-huh. episodes half hour long you can get through it super quickly um, they signed on for a second season, but like I said, well acted, interesting story, um, and like the characters' story and all that has kind of drawn me in, and um, just kind of you know I I love food, I love going to restaurants and whatnot, and kind of seeing like that behind the scenes thing and like how much like they just hold on to uh, the art of of making food. I don't know. There's just something there that I I do appreciate and and really dig. The craftsmanship. The craftsmanship, right? Yeah. Um, hey, before I get into what I've been reading, I do want to talk about 
Um, I did finally see Thor. Oh, yeah. And I think that is maybe the most uneven in terms of tone movie I've seen. Because, man, like, I, I thought, <laughs> oh, people say it's uneven. I just think they need to take it, take it easy, right? And then this movie cold opens with some really dark stuff. Right? Yeah. And not just not not like a kind of a cold like a cold open kid dying. And then <laughs> off we go. And so like and then it just kind of like classic Thor adventure. <laughs> yeah. And I think I do think the chickens had kind of come home to roost of like if you're going to do this kind of silly Thor thing, there's certain storylines you probably shouldn't touch. Mm-hmm. And I think this one probably, like the villain's storyline, deserved a little bit much more of a serious look and a serious tone than what it kind of ended up getting. I did, I did, you know, it's kind of one of the classic Marvel villains that you kind of sit there and go, he does have a point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. These gods are actually terrible people (laughs) um but yeah i I don't know like it was probably one of the more disappointing marvel experiences i've had but i mean you know their ceiling is i would say high but their their floor is is also quite high like you Mm -hmm. you're gonna get an entertaining movie um you know it wasn't eternals or something which yeah slog but yeah so okay i want i want to talk about this cameron because I have a rough relationship with Game of Thrones. And in fact, very foundational to our friendship, right? Like say, one of the first yeah. books I ever loaned you was the original Game of Thrones. I have a copy signed of Game of Thrones by uh, George R. R. Martin, like the actual book hardcover. It's not a first edition, but it was like, you know, published in like 99 that I have signed or whatever. I read those books in the early 2000s. Loved them, and I kind of had fallen out of love with them over the course of the TV show. Yep. And a lot of that is driven by the fact that just the last two seasons were really poorly written. I don't know that there's another way to, to put it. The execution in terms of the budget, and I think a lot of the acting was there, but it was just like a lot of the things that were core to the you know experience were kind of gone. And in that... George R. R. Martin published a book called Fire and Blood. Have you read this book, uh, Cameron? I have not, no. So it is. So there, there's a new trailer for a new HBO show called House of Dragon. I watched the trailer and I felt nothing, mm-hmm. like less mm-hmm. than nothing. But I listened to a podcast, as I am wont to do, and they kind of laid out for me this book that I had written off as a cheap knockoff Cimmerillion that. George R. R. Martin was using to like extend interest in the show and on and his books and all this was actually good. I've sat down to it twice and I'm 300 pages into it. It is, it it, it does read like a narrative history book. So mm. let's get that out of the way first. Okay. But dude, he's a like this is what's gotten lost. This dude is a good writer. Oh yeah, he is a good writer that is really hurt his reputation and his trust, right? And I am super sour grapes because I could name off the top of my head three fantasy novels that I would rather see as movies or TV shows than another go-round in Westeros and all this. Um, but this book is really good. 
It is really good. It's incredibly It's fresh, very tight. <laughs> yeah. It is really tightly put together. It's better than the last two Song of Ice and Fire books by a long ways. And again, like it, it reads like the Cimmerillion or, you know, Edith, Ham- Edith Hamilton mythology or something like that. Like there's mm-hmm. a lot of family lineage and stuff like that that you kind of like have to go through. But it's nothing like as deep as the Cimmerillion. But it is just this overall look at the the dynasty of the Targaryens. And basically, because they're kind of like the Norman invasion, and there's like this starting point of the book of the Targaryens invading Westeros. So you don't get all this like far back deep stuff of the wall and mm-hmm. children of the forest. It's much more, I should would say, it's like 300 years before the uh, Song of Ice and Fire. And you get this really in-depth understanding of the geography, the culture, why these things are the way they are. I have a much better understanding of, for example, the stuff that happens in Dorne in mm. the TV show and the books is like makes a lot more sense to me now. And it made, especially when you read book, was that four? You're like, yeah, what is all here? this? Yeah, yeah. And now it's like, well, I have this background. This makes a lot more sense. So <sighs> I will now wade into this new show. Mm. What's weird is if you could read the like if you read the book I'm reading theoretically you know exactly what's going to happen over the course of this TV show. Um and now there's multiple Game of Thrones projects. I guess I can't fault them because they need to make money. Yeah. I understand that. Yeah. They got to feed the beast. Hey listen, I'll subscribe if you just give me a Mistborn. That's all I want. Like, you know, just wet that whistle. <laughs> I mean, dude, there's so many things like that that like whatever and and, and it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I know a lot of these projects are in, have been purchased by a studio and are just sitting, yep. ruminating in development forever. Um, but yeah. Anyway, I'm sad to report that not only is this history of Westeros a good book and much more interesting than anything he's written in years, <laughs> it's also part one of two apparently, oh, and no. two has yet to get published. <laughs> So 2056, <laughs> we'll get it. <laughs> Written by Brandon Sanderson. Yeah. And uh. So anyway, <laughs> hopefully the show lives up to the book, but I think we've all been there before. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So anyway, Cameron, if someone would like to get at you and talk to you about the history of Dorne, where could they find you? <laughs> That's all on Twitter, at Cameron underscore McCoy. <laughs> And I am at Curtis Now. Our official show feed is at SpikeBeatMTG. We'll check you guys next week.